Hello, and welcome to Compass Church. If you have any questions about this message or are interested in learning more, please contact us. We'd love the opportunity to connect. Now, enjoy today's message. This morning, if you have a Bible, please open it with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We are going to be looking at one verse today. Partially because I'm insane, uh, but also because we are on the edge of a swimming pool together. Up until this point, you know, we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount for about a month together. Up until this point, Jesus hasn't actually given any imperatives. He hasn't told us to do anything. He's just told us what the kingdom is like. And before he tells us to do anything, before he gives us any imperatives, he does some heart work. He's working on who we are, our inner person. And we need to spend one more week doing that heart work before we jump into the pool. And so, I know we're reading one verse, but we're going to continue our habit that I'm going to read this verse, and I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord. And you can reply, thanks be to God. And then I'm going to ask him for his help. So let's read Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. And let's ask for his help. Father, I just echo the words of the psalmist this morning. That the Lord is a shield around me, my glory and the one who lifts my head. Father, we need your help this morning. God, if we're really going to put off this Pharisee-type righteousness and put on the righteousness that you provide, we need help. We need your spirit to move in us to see Jesus and the beauty of what he's done. So God, I ask for help that help in looking away from ourselves this morning. I ask all these things in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. I, I'm not going to lie to you. Okay, I'm not going to stand up here and pretend that I'm really good at guitar. Okay, I just want full disclosure as I tell this story. Okay, full disclosure. I'm not great at guitar, but there have been seasons of my life where I have had the privilege of strapping on a guitar and playing in front of small audiences. And I just really want to emphasize the small portion of those audiences, okay? So I, I have strapped on a guitar and played in front of audiences. And for those of you in the room who play guitar, so to quote Radiohead, everybody plays guitar. So for those of you who play guitar and have played guitar in front of people, there's a phrase that you know. There are three words that anybody who's strapped on a guitar and stood in front of people, you've heard these three words, Maybe you've even said these three words. But as soon as you get in front of people with your axe, you hear, play free bird. I have no idea how this song became that of rock and roll legend. It doesn't even make sense. The song is nine minutes long. I, I don't like Leonard Skinner at all, um, but I really respect that the record company was like, hey, you, you got to shorten this. Like, if we're going to play this on the radio, it can't be nine minutes. And they're like, play it anyway. Like, you just got to respect that. 
But the thing I think, the reason that Freebird has been around so long and has had such a lasting resonance with people is because it asks a question. It asks a question that every single person asks. It's an important question. It's a question really that digs deep into like fundamentally what it means to be a human being. Here's that question that Freebird asks. Can people change? Can people change? And if people can change, how do they change? So we get to see, we have to kind of peer behind the, the, the curtain and hear Ronnie Van Zant. That's Leonard Skinner's uh, lead singer. This is his view on that answer. Can people change? is very subtle. So you really need to listen to hear the nuance of his view. Can people change? Here's, here's Freebird. But if I stayed with you, girl, things just couldn't be the same. Because I'm as free as a bird now. And this bird, you'll never change. Oh, this bird, you cannot change. Oh, this bird, you cannot change. Lord knows I can't change. Lord, help me, I can't change. Lord, I can't change. One of the most popular classes at Yale, in the history of Yale, was a class on happiness. At one point, 25% of the student body at Yale was enrolled in this class on happiness. And when asked why this class was so popular, its professor, Dr. Lori Santos, replied, well, part of the reason probably is because this is Yale, and uh, these people have been working their whole lives to get into Yale, and they're finally into Yale, and they're miserable. But she said, beyond that, though, this question is, is the, the question of why it's so popular gets at, like, the question of can we change? I'm not happy what can I do to be happy? Can I move? Can I move from being unhappy to being happy? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is trying to think about the way we change and flip it upside down. He's trying to tell us in this kingdom, the kingdom of God, so far everything has been upside down. As God is reclaiming his creation, he's doing it in ways that we think is totally backwards. He's a king. Kings come to palaces, right? No. This king was born in obscurity in a manger. He's a king, right? So he's going to try to reach the movers and the shakers and the elites and, and spread that kingdom, right? No. He gathers the outcasts, the diseased, and he brings them in. Oh, and then he tells them how they can fix their life, right? No, he says, blessed are you. And so now this kingdom that's upside down approaches that question of how do we change? And, and it actually gets that question, it's not just of change, but of faith, of religion. And we learn that in the kingdom of God, the way we approach faith, change, religion, all these things is totally backwards from the way that we're naturally trying to do it. And so if we don't linger on this sentence, if we miss it, if we just rush right into these things that Jesus is trying to tell us to do, if we miss it, by doing those things, we can actually move deeper into brokenness. We're going to try to change how we think we should change, not how you actually change in this kingdom. And so we cannot skip this verse. We need to hang out on the edge of the pool one more week. Because here's what Jesus is saying. He says, unless your righteousness 
super surpasses. It doesn't just say surpass. It says goes way beyond the scribes and the Pharisees. You are not getting in to the kingdom of God. And if we're reading that and paying attention, that sounds terrifying. I don't know if you know this, but the scribes and the Pharisees had quite a reputation for being righteous. From a very young age, they memorized Torah. And, and you're like, well, that was easy because they, you know, that was their first language. No, they spoke Aramaic. So they had to learn another language, memorize God's word, and then they were zealous. Like they, they totally lived their lives. Every single thing they did was to bring their lives into conformity to God's word. And Jesus says, you got to go past that. You got to be better than that or you can't get into the kingdom. And there's a weight. How in the world can I do that? There's not enough time in the day to catch up. And you need to know that. Like, even if you started now, you wouldn't catch up. And so that's what we need to see. Jesus is not calling us into deeper effort. He's not saying, hey, see what the scribes and the Pharisees are doing? Try harder. It's not that at all. He's actually calling us into a different type of righteousness, a totally upside down way to approach change, to approach how to be in this world. See, he's trying to call us away from something and into something else. There's two righteousnesses here. There's the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes, and then there's the righteousness Jesus is calling us into. He says this, there's their righteousness, and then there's your righteousness, Your righteousness needs to go past theirs. What he's ultimately calling us into is not try harder, but put off and put on. Paul loved to talk like that. He'd say, put off, put on. This is where he gets it. We're putting off the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, and we're putting on a different type of righteousness. So what is that? How do we do that? Well, first Paul wants you to see the emptiness of behavior modification. That's all that they were doing was just trying to change the way they acted, change the way they live. And Paul wants you to look at it and see it's empty. Doesn't deal with a sin problem. Doesn't actually transform you. It just pushes you deeper and deeper inward to yourself. And he's saying though, if you see the righteousness that Jesus has, that's different. You can see this. Jesus fulfilled the law. The very thing that the scribes and Pharisees were trying to do. He fulfilled the law so that you can live for something bigger than yourself. See, sin, it just, it just makes us, tears us into fragments and causes us just to look inward and live for ourselves. And Jesus is calling you to look outward, but he's telling you how to get there. It's to put off this type of righteousness and put on this type of righteousness. And then Jesus responds to Skinnerd. He says, you can change because you have been changed. You can change Not because you tried harder, not because you found some secret formula, but you can actually change. You can have victory. You you can experience transformation. Not because of anything you're doing, but because you've been changed. That's where Jesus is trying to drive us toward today. So let's first look at this emptiness, the emptiness of behavior modification. What is Jesus saying when he says your righteousness needs to go beyond the scribes and the Pharisees? So when I say behavior modification, I am not also claiming to be a psychologist or having a deep understanding of behaviorisms. What I'm talking about is thinking 
that if I just adjust the way I'm living, my behavior, I'm good. What God expects of me is he says, live this way. If I live in accordance with that, we're good here. And I just want to also make a disclaimer on that. Not only am I not a clinical psychologist, I'm also not saying that in your life, there aren't going to be times where you just adjust your behavior just because. Okay, there are going to be times when you do take place, you do behavior modification. Let's say your anger just piles up and you want to be violent. Like you just, you just are just overcome with rage and there's a temptation to violence. Leaving that scenario is literally behavior modification. We're not getting at any heart attitudes here. We're just walking away and that's great. That's really good. Okay. Also in a couple of weeks, Pastor Ed is going to do like a, a mini series, a breakout series on habits. We live in bodies and our bodies are mostly run on habit. And we need to hijack those habits and have these spiritual disciplines if we're going to live out the Sermon on the Mount. Ed's going to walk us through that. So I'm not saying there isn't a place for adjusting your behavior. What I am saying is what do you trust in? Do you trust the law to do something that the law simply cannot do? And that's change your heart. See, behavior, the way we live, the way, the way that the decisions that we make don't happen in isolation. All right? You, your behaviors are being driven by, by fears, by desires, by wants. They don't happen in isolation. Let me, and like to help you see this, I want you to think about with my friend Doug. All right? It's not his name, but Doug has this amazing theological library. Any book you could ever think of, Doug has it. Doug also is this weird Rolodex of sermons. Like, you'll be talking about a topic, and he's like, oh, man. In 1988, this guy in Texas preached this sermon. You got to check it out. Here's where you can find it. Just fantastic. Doug also owns a business. And Doug has a reputation for being, let's just say, cheap. Cheats people. He's incredibly angry. People know not to cross Doug. How would you help Doug? What does Doug need to do? See, there's a gap. There's a gap between Doug's theology and who Doug is. And that gap is created by mere behavior modification. Come on, Doug. Like, just, just try harder. Just read more. Just read more theology and you'll just stop it. Just, just stop being mean. Just stop, stop being a cheapskate and just start doing this. See, Doug's problem is not Doug's behavior. The problem goes deeper. It's there's something driving that behavior. Behavior modification cannot address that gap between what we're doing and who we really are. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying about these scribes and Pharisees. Matthew 23, Jesus later is warning his disciples about the scribes and the Pharisees. And this is what he says about them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you should be careful to do everything everything they teach you. See that? Good theology. But don't do what they do, for they don't practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads, put them on other people's shoulders. They themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. The Pharisees are like your uncle, that uncle that you're going to see at Thanksgiving who offers you career advice. 
He, oh, you know what you need to do? You need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do that. The armchair quarterback. And yet he never left home. He didn't really have much of a career, but he knows everything you should do. So the Pharisees had this gap. And if we just think, oh, if I just, if I just behaved a certain way, if I just lived a certain way, I'm okay. And the Pharisees are a case study in no way. Behavior can't really transform you. The sin problem is in too deep. And if we just think, oh, if I just fix my behavior, I'm fine. I'm the proud parent of two little boys. I wish that rules could change my kids' hearts. I wish I could say, hey, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. And then they're just super loving, kind, winsome, smart, wise, godly little kids. I don't have to set any rules. I I just do this. But any parent knows if you build a wall, what now happens with your kids? It's a game of how fast can I get over that wall? And it doesn't matter what you say to them. Like, hey, there's danger on the other side of the wall. Don't go on the other side of the wall. It's bad news over there. And they're like, yeah, I I bet not for me, though. I can get, I can, I, I can do this. I can navigate this. See, what Jesus is pointing at when he's talking about this is he's talking about one of the purposes of the law is to show us our need. See, like, if we just get involved with behaviorism, oh, I just need to change how I'm living and I'm good, you're not going all the way down to where sin affects you as you really are. As one pastor says, what it means to be a human is to be a will with a mind inside of a body. Let me say that again. A will with a mind inside of a body. We have a will. We want to do things. We, I, I really want to get in shape, so I'm going to work out. I'm going to wake up early and run, even though now it's cold. We have a mind that includes our emotions and our thoughts. All that together is wrapped up in a body. If we're just adjusting our behavior, if it's just stop this, we're leaving so much of who we are out of the transformation process. Jesus doesn't want you just to change like that. And this is what's unique about Christianity. Every religion, every philosophy is just follow these steps to the good life. Follow these steps to heaven. And Jesus is saying, we've laid out these steps for you and they just showed how truly broken you are. See, sin pulls us apart. See, on the one hand, we can talk about generosity. Oh man, I really love giving to the poor. I love these causes. This is my favorite nonprofit. And then a couple hours later, it's all materialism. If I only had the newest iPhone 11, everything would be fine. My problems would go away. Sin fractures us. And if we just try to deal with it on the behavioral level, it's empty. We aren't changing who we really are. And see, like, I wish I could say, like, that's just a teenager problem. But just because you can register for the draft, buy lottery tickets and cigarettes, doesn't make that problem go away. We carry this with us into adulthood. How do I know that? When you come to church, do you feel that weight of, oh, man, I got to tell everybody I'm doing okay. I, there's a lot of things that happened on my way into church, but no one can really know about that because I have to be a type of person. That's the heart of behavior modification. And that was never God's plan for the law. God God never said, hey, I'm going to give you all these rules. I just want you to be anxious. 
I just want you to make sure you're keeping all these rules. Hosea 6, prophet Hosea says this. He says about the law, God is saying this, I desired mercy, not sacrifice. And I wanted you to know God, not offer burnt, burnt offerings. The point of the law was knowing God, was dwelling with him. And we took, we took God's word and said, all right, if I do this, I can get God off my back. I can just live a certain way and everything will be fine. See, if we don't really deal with that heart problem and we just say, I'm going to obey, I'm going to try harder, you move deeper into that problem. And the problem then gets magnified when as a church, if you don't deal with it. Do you ever feel judged at church? Do you ever feel like, ah, these people, I can't really be me. That's fruit of a community just living into behavior modification. How do we fix things? How do we adjust things? Well, we just got just to gotta get more programs. We just got to adjust, like, oh, I don't know how to help this person, but if they just keep showing up, we'll be fine. There is a better way. The bottom of the bathtub for behavior modification is emptiness. And this is where Jesus is saying this. He's saying, look, the point of the law was to highlight your need, and I came to meet that need. We're going to dip back a little bit, but look at verse 17. That's exactly what he's saying in verse 17. He says, look, don't think, don't entertain the idea, don't even like dwell on this. Don't think that I came to abolish the law and the prophets. I didn't come to abolish them, but to fulfill. I came to fulfill. There are all these requirements. There's all these paths that God has laid out. And Jesus is saying, I came in order to fulfill those. The problem is your heart, and I came to hit you where your problem lies. I'm not here to adjust your behavior. That's, and look at the law. This is what the law says about that. So in Deuteronomy 30, this is like Moses' like farewell tour, okay? This is his free bird. The, the, the nation of Israel, they're on, the, they're on the cusp of going into the promised land. And Moses is saying, hey, before we go in there, we're going to go over the law again. So he goes over the law again with them. And we get to the very end of chapter 30, and he says this. You're not going to do any of this. You're going to totally fail, and God's going to send you into exile. This is what he says. He says, all the blessings and the curse that I've set before you are going to come on you. This is Deuteronomy 30. Take heart to do them, but this is still going to happen. And when your children return to the Lord and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul, then the Lord will restore you. So, oh, okay. We just got to obey. There we go, right? I can't. We can't fulfill this. But here's where it gets to be great news. Verse 6, the Lord will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. The reason we don't know how to help Doug, the reason we struggle to help Doug is because we think that sin is an intellectual problem. We think, well, Doug just doesn't know. If we just gave Doug more facts, Doug would be fine. Doug, doesn't, Doug, Doug just needs this thing. He needs that. The problem goes way beneath that to our very hearts. And what does Jesus say he came to fulfill? The law. What does the law say? That God will change our hearts. It says circumcise. Cut off what is bad. 
God will totally transform our hearts. Why? Because our hearts, who we really are, those desires, those thoughts, the things driving our behavior is what needs to be changed. And that's what Jesus came to change. Like one pastor illustrates it like this. If you're trying through behavior modification to change your heart, that's like trying to do this. Let's say Missouri, I'm not, I have no green thumb. If you know me at all, you know I have no green thumb. But let's just say, I'm like, I really want an orange tree. It's hard to grow an orange tree in this kind of weather, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to plant an apple tree. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to take my oranges and I'm going to staple them to the apple tree. Now I have an orange tree. That's what behavior modification does. What the gospel does is it changes the tree. It changes you down to who you really are in ways you're totally unaware of. That's why also, coincidentally, the first words out of Jesus' mouth on the Sermon on the Mount are blessed. He's saying this, when all the blessings and the curses come upon you, you've earned curses. But he shows up on a mountain just like they, they, he says this, hey, blessed, blessed, blessed. He shows up in grace and says, I've done this for you. And that's the great irony of these two righteousness. On the one hand, what the Pharisees want, this change, they want to move into obeying God, they can't do. But when we see that, when we see we can't do it, that it's been done for us, now we can actually do what God wants. See, we, before this, if we try to just do it with effort, we're just twisting God's word to our own end. Right? Well, God said, do this, I'll do that, and then boom, he'll bless me. I'll, he'll give me what I want. And it's like, no way. That's not the point of the law. See, like, when we live like that, who's still at the center? We are. We're saying, like, if I do this, this will happen for me. Because sin pushes us inward. We're using God's word. We look righteous on the outside. But what we're doing is we're really just using it to serve our own ends. Just like the Pharisees. They were being righteous. Why? They wanted to be seen. They wanted respect. Their community liked this. We'll do that. We'll be really good at it. And we'll let you know you're not good at it. But what this righteousness does that Jesus fulfills, it helps you look away from yourself. And so you can fulfill the prophet Hosea when he says, I desired chesed. I desired that grace. Now we can actually be gracious people because we've experienced that grace. And the word for this is a gift. A lot of us aren't good at, at getting gifts. It's like Christmas time, someone gives you a gift and it's like, ugh, okay. Uh, I just got to put in my Rolodex, I owe Josh a gift. Josh got me this. It was about $24. Okay, I got to get Josh a $22 gift. I got, to, I got to repay this. The righteousness Jesus gave that fulfills the law is a gift. You can't do it. He's not calling you to work harder. Like we said, there's not enough time in the day. There's all kinds of rumors about the Pharisees and the scribes of the righteousness that they had. So they had humongous chunks of Torah memorized. There are rumors that what they used to do, I don't believe these rumors, but I'm just saying it for dramatic effect. They used to take scrolls and put a nail through the scroll and then pull the nail out, open up the scroll, and they could say every word that the, the, the nail poked out. I don't believe that's true because papyrus is expensive, 
But you get the point. They took it seriously. You can't do that. If you think God is calling you to try deeper, you're not going to be able to do love. But if you see that Jesus saw your heart, knows how messed up you are, knows how deep the sin problem goes, and says, I'm coming for you. I came to fulfill this for you. Now you can change. Now you really can change. And this is the irony of this righteousness. You can actually do what God wants. You can change because you've been changed. So look, we're going we're gonna to dip ahead into the Sermon on the Mount. Look at, look at some of these verses of things Jesus tells you to do. All right, look at verse 21. You've heard it said long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Okay? Here's what Jesus is saying. Good job. You haven't killed anyone. Okay, like, I don't want to assume anything on any of your lives, but like, I'm just going to assume most of us, that's just not a normal human experience that we've killed somebody. When I was in college, I was home on a, a winter break, and I worked at a Walmart, and I had a very depressing moment working at this Walmart. There were just thousands of people, and I, one day I'm like just checking people out, and I said, I wonder how many of these people have murdered someone, and I legitimately got very scared. I was like, oh my gosh, she's definitely murdered someone. That's a murderer. And it's just like, oh my goodness, and i terrified. But look, People don't, that's not the natural human, we don't naturally murder anybody. Here's what the Pharisees, how they approach the law. It says don't kill, nailed it, got it. Here's how new creation, here's how humanity 2.0 approaches the law. It says this, you shall not murder. Why is God telling me not to murder? Oh, because he values people. People are made in their image and likeness. So just like Jesus came to rescue me, God values people around me. So I've been loved and rescued and experienced grace. These people all are image of God who can experience grace and love. So it's not just about not mowing people down, but it's about loving what God loves. He's loved me. I see he loves them. Now I can truly love them. So again, it's not try harder. It's not like, hey, You've heard it said, don't murder. Well, don't even be angry. That's really bad. So if you're driving in traffic at five o'clock and somebody cuts you off and you give them the, you know, the New Jersey state salute, you're honking your horn and you're yelling all kinds of things. If you do all those things, you're a murderer. That's not the point of what Jesus is saying. That's the old righteousness. What he's saying is this. We now can love people. It's not just that we don't mow people down is that we actually see the wisdom behind the law. We've been changed, and so now we just experience things differently. When you are loved, what you love changes, and now you approach things differently. Verse 27, Jesus starts talking about sex. Nothing in this kingdom is off limits. He says this, you've heard it said that you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, don't look at a a woman lustfully. Here's what he's saying the wisdom behind that is. He's saying this, a person comes to you addicted to porn. How does the kingdom mindset help that person? Tells them to stop. Cut it out. Stop looking at porn. Read your Bible. No. It helps them see the love and the wisdom behind the law. It's not just saying, hey, do this and live. 
It's saying, here's love, here's experiencing love, and now because you've experienced this, you don't dehumanize other people with your appetites. We don't seduce each other, we serve each other. It's a totally different way of looking at things. And I know what some of you are thinking. It's like, this is why Jesus said this in verse 17. He's, it's like, wait, so Jesus came to, to said, don't think I've come to abolish the law. He's saying this, he's like, so wait, so now we just don't need the law at all? Like we just kind of do what we want, live how we feel? It's like, no, we see God's word with new eyes. The goal isn't, hey, let's be the best church and win all the Bible trivia awards. Uh, my wife and I had the privilege of walking with a young woman who, uh, they, they started a Bible study. And she stopped going, this young woman, because she just didn't feel like she could be there because she didn't know what a Galatians was. She just felt like, oh, I don't, I'm not, I'm not who I need to be. I don't, I don't have all this information everybody has, so I don't add up. That's the old way of doing change. The new way of doing change is meeting people where they are and growing with them into things. This isn't like, like the old way of doing things naturally has to showboat. It has to say, I am righteous. My righteousness does go beyond the scribes and the Pharisees. And I let you know about it. But this new righteousness says, look, I, I, I tried and I couldn't do it. And it was done for me. And I receive that. There's nothing I can add to that. It's all been done. And that transforms how we see each other. Now we can actually be people of hesed, people of grace. And that's what the law is all about. It's driving the Pharisees crazy. So look, how can we know, how can, how can we know how to work on our hearts? How can we actually do this? We're saying that behaviorism isn't the way to go. That there's heart attitudes driving your behavior. Man, that just sounds really hard. Like, do I just have to like, is this like navel gazing? Is that what you're calling me into? Like, how do I actually be about heart change and not behavior modification? How do I do this? Well, I think the first way that we do this is to ask for help. Ask for help. Here's what one pastor says. You cannot confess what you cannot see. You cannot confess what you cannot see. Getting away from behavior modification recognizes this. Hey, I'm in traffic right now, and I'm super angry. I don't know what's driving that, but I see the fruit. I see the fruit of a heart attitude. God, help me see that heart attitude. Help, help, me, help me not just adjust, oh, don't be angry. Okay, so don't, don't flip them off. But just hold on to the wheel really tight. God, help, how, how do I really transform in this moment? How do I change? Prayer is a way to start. Community is another way. I don't know if you know this, but people see things you can't. One of the reasons, one of the reasons for that is just blind spots. We can't see ourselves clearly. We just can't. Others, others can look into that process and say like, hey, I see something you may not. See, like, if I take God's word and I bend it to my own, like, hey, like, I'm bending it to my own accord, I'm always going to, I'm doing fine. That's not sin. I don't think it's sin. Probably not a sin. And other people can say, hey, the way you responded there, let's unpack that a little bit together. Prayer. Community. The second one, 
The second way that we can actually have heart change is to rest. Rest. When Jesus says he fulfills the law, what he's inviting you into is rest. It has been done. We don't believe that. How do, I, how do I know some of you don't believe that? Because this is some of your thoughts. Some of you are thinking this. Listen, Craig, I've been a Christian a long time. I've been a Christian for 40 years. You haven't even been alive 40 years. Why are you telling me all this like gospel stuff? I know this. Look, the reason that we're talking about this is because our hearts are so twisted that every day we just very easily slide back into this behavior modification. It takes work to trust Jesus. It takes work... It's very easy. It's very easy to just adjust our behaviors. Oh, you know, my wife gets mad when I do this. I'll just stop doing that. Okay. That's easy. That's easier than saying like, hey, I want something. My wife wants something. What's driving our desires? Let's help figure that out here. That's hard work. And we don't do that from a place, though, of, of trying to earn God's favor. It's already been done. I came to fulfill. We do this from a place of rest. There is nothing at stake for you. Jesus did it all. You have nothing to add to his work. You couldn't do it. Like, we, we bend God's law. That was never the point of God's law. It wasn't like, hey, I have two plans here. I've got one plan where I'm going to give them all these rules. If they obey the rules, they're in. I have this other plan where I'll send Jesus. No, when Jesus came to fulfill, he's saying the whole Bible was pointing toward this. The Bible was leading that way. The story of Scripture culminates in Jesus, and now seeing that invites you to let your life culminate in Jesus. And we call that experience rest. It is done. And when we rest, that creates a deep sense of trust. Trust. We can have heart change because we trust Jesus. He came here in order to reclaim his creation. And his reclaiming of his creation starts with your heart. He's working to transform you and you can trust that he will finish it. See, sin and behavior modification only moves you inward and you never have rest. You don't know if you've done enough. But Jesus' fulfillment of the law blows by the Pharisees. You left them at a gas station in Fulton. And that creates a deep sense of trust. It doesn't rely on you figuring it all out. If theology could change Doug, Doug would be a the- oh, just a rock star. But Doug is broken because Doug doesn't have an intellectual problem. As James K.A. Smith says, you're not a brain on a stick. All right, just think about that one for a second. Sin isn't just an intellectual problem. It's who we are. And if we just try to do the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, we're moving deeper into our brokenness. But we can can blow by them because of what's been done for us. And that's why we're lingering here. We're going to keep coming back here week after week because we're so quick to forget. So we're going to talk about the demands that Jesus puts on our life. 
of not being angry. Some of you have been cultivating anger for a really long time. You've been good at behavior modification. Nobody knows how furious you are all the time. Jesus gets up in your business. Not in a way to shame you. Not in a way to drag you in front of everybody else. But for your own redemption. He rescues you to the core. We call this redemption the gospel. And when we as a community get it, we can fulfill what both the law and the prophets said. We can have a new heart, and we can be a people of Hesed. Jesus came to fulfill this, and he did. Let's pray. Father, I pray that we would trust, that we would trust what your Son has done for us, that we would not see this as the ABCs of the Christian life, but we would see the gospel as the car that we are driving through your kingdom, that you're moving us deeper into our understanding of who you are and what you've done for us. God, I pray that would transform us as a community and that we'd be able to hold out hope for this city. Thank you and ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you, Craig. We're, <clears throat> we're excited about the Lord Jesus because we do know that the the fullness of God's plan of salvation and life comes to us through him. And uh, one of our uh, privileges is to be invited to partake of the Lord's Supper, and we do this on the first Sunday of every month. And it's a great privilege for us to uh, focus again on the gift of Christ his death on the cross, his resurrection, and the life that flows from him that flows into us as we uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper and remember of his great mercy and love to us. Uh, as we prepare, I would like to read 2 Corinthians 5.21, a familiar passage, but also reminds us of his great work for us. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And our hope is in that work of Christ on the